Well, in this episode of Undictated, we talk to Quibus Vester, who's the chief executive of ArcelorMittal South Africa. Uh, a shock announcement yesterday, well, shock to people who haven't been following what's been going on at ArcelorMittal South Africa. Uh, the long steel operations in my boyhood town of Newcastle and uh, in Vereniging at those two mills, steel mills, are going to be shut down, perhaps. Anyway, there's an investigation that's going on. But if you saw ArcelorMittal's financial results for the year, over the six months to the end of June, it shouldn't be a surprise. And in this episode of Undictated, we're going to go into some detail on exactly what's going on and why the craziness that we're seeing at Eskom and Transnet is having such a negative impact on um, manufacturers and, and big industry here in South Africa. Quibus, good to be talking with you again. Last time we were in the studio uh, in Johannesburg, lots has changed since then. You were uh, riding the crest of a wave at that point. Things were looking very good. And then along came a massive load shedding. Along came, well... Uh, almost implosion of Transnet, and you guys appear to be one of the uh, biggest casualties so far. It reminds me a little bit about that wonderful saying that Hemingway had in his book about gradually, then suddenly. You know, how does a man go bankrupt? Well, gradually, then suddenly. It appears in South Africa, it's been a gradually for quite a long time, somehow holding on, and now suddenly we're seeing some very, very serious impacts. Before we go into the how, perhaps you can tell us the what, what exactly it is that you've announced this week about the operations at Oslo Middle South Africa. Good afternoon, Alex. Yes, I think uh, the what, we basically indicated that uh, uh, we're going to uh, finalize the process of winding down our long steel products business the extrusion of the coke-making operations in Newcastle, which is a small part of the Newcastle operations. So basically, center plant, large blast winners, uh, six, seven rolling facilities in Newcastle, uh, rolling facility, as well as the rolling facility. All being fed from the blast winners in Newcastle. So once you, you close down your bullet-making facility, uh, you have to Gradually shut out everything. Um, yeah, I think that's the extent. It's a it's a it's a big event. It's a lot of assets involved. There's a lot of people involved. Uh, if one look at the financials, those are all sensible. Uh, but when you come to the social impact, it's a very difficult uh, decision that we were forced to make. How big is it in the whole scale of Oslo Middle South Africa? Uh, and, and I ask this question in the context of, you said 3,500 people, both contract workers and full-time employees. What's the context of that? Well, the Oslo in totality in South Africa employed directly and through lots of permanent contractors, about 10,000 people. So 3,500 is about 35%. If you look at the volume number that we will take out, it's about the same number. So that's about the extent... Uh, of the production footprint, as well as people. And as far as the production is concerned, for those who don't understand the steel making operation, what is the how, how important is long steel relative to the other products? 
I think it's two distinct, different uh, focus areas where our flat tilt product, which will be the business remaining, that produces largely high quality products into the automotive, learning industry, uh, appliances, or renewable energy, and those type of uh, product ranges. Also, in a, in a strong market, bigger market than the loans, and uh, relative balance almost between capacity and uh, uh, demand. <clears throat> the low products, on the other hand, uh, service to a large extent, large infrastructure development, that's your rebar and those type of things. It's got a range of uh, simple products and low quality products, which is about, say, 70% uh, of the Newcastle range, and then it's got a 30% high value added also into the automotive, the Biden bar, stuff like that. So, uh, and that's where there's a, a, a lot of competition. That's where the arc furnace, the electric arc furnace compete. And they can basically, to a large extent, only compete uh, on the lower grade stuff, the commoditized type of uh, items. But typically, if you have a plant that can run between 1.6 and 1.8 million tons capacity, We've been running it at about 1 uh, million tons. It's the lowest level that you can run it. And if 70% of your production is at a uh, uh, very highly competitive market, but also where your competitors have a preferential input cost, I mean, crap in South Africa is discounted substantially. Um, and that 30% that's left, so it's very difficult to cover your losses. Uh, no lower grade. I think it's worth pausing just for a moment to explain what the competitor is. And if I understand correctly, it's scrap metal that you can put through arc furnaces. In other words, you, you bring it up to a very high heat, it melts the metal, you can then refine it into steel and compete directly with a manufacturer like yourself who bring in iron ore and convert that into steel. So it's almost like uh, I suppose, second-hand steel, if you like, but becomes new again as against uh, the the creation of steel. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, Alec, I missed you, uh, lost you there for a moment, but I think you, you got it right. So uh, uh, electric arc furnace or induction furnace use uh, scrap uh, to produce uh, steel. Um, and as I say, the certain types of steel doesn't need virgin iron ore processes uh, due to quality reasons. So typically, if you look at the million tons for loss, uh, 30, say 300,000 tons, if we if we close or when we close the low products business, uh, that will not be, a, that cannot be substituted uh, immediately domestically. So uh, uh, we have to work with our customers to see how we phase out ourselves and give them some other options uh, from an import perspective. Now, the share price of ArcelorMittal South Africa has taken a terrible hit uh, down in the past year from 4 Rand 50 to even lower today, 1 Rand 18 cents. If I understand correctly, what you're doing now is, after losing 500 million in those six months to end June, is to get the business sustainable. I would have thought, if you can get that done, that uh, maybe that would give investors a little bit more hope. I think it should. I mean, if you look at the last seven years, Newcastle only made profit on a EBITDA level, not even at the net level, twice. 
Uh, it burned was probably around 5 billion of cash. Uh, so we've been at this reflection point twice before, uh, taking a view, and you know, still people are by nature very optimistic. Uh, things will turn around, growth will start, infrastructure spend will happen. Uh, and we can do enough through our cost savings initiatives, through downsizing and all of those, which we've done, but it's just not enough. Uh, to overcome those other impediments. Um, so you are, you're 100% right. And uh, I must say, we've also, to an extent, neglected the flat products. Because if you have your, your, your dual part of your business generating strong cash flows, but you have to service a negative business, then you, you are not really investing to the same extent that's required. You do what you can, but you're not really at that uh, technology curve where you should be. So what will be left at the Newcastle plant after the long steel products are removed? It will basically be coke making. So currently we import uh, coke. I mean, we produce coke at both Vanderbilt Park and Newcastle. But our production volumes is not enough for our own consumption. So we also import uh, coke from elsewhere in the world. So we convert that. We will... Uh, uh, either sell that in the domestic market, there's a market for market coke, uh, or we supply from the Bell Park and displace uh, expensive uh, imported coke on a landed basis here. So on a net basis, the coke business on a standalone basis would be substantially profitable. Um, I mean, but it's all been eating up into making steel and selling at a loss, which... Sounds a bit dark to so get it, but that's what that's it. It's the Kubis, we've had this conversation before. During my university vax, I worked as an operator at ISCO, as it then was in Newcastle, and it's a big organization. It's a very big plant. Is that plant now going to be mothballed? Um, the the plant that I walked around and took maybe twenty minutes to get to my place of work at because it's it's that size. It's it's a significant scale. No, it's a massive operation. I was I was there yesterday. I mean, I went went there to to give the news to to the people in person, uh, and we actually drove through it. Uh, I mean, it's a big plot. It's actually in good shape. Remember, we spent almost half a billion last year with that blast furnace, which will put it in a, a position to operate until twenty thirty four, roughly. So, uh, yeah, I think care and maintenance is a better description. Uh, so we will bring down the assets safely. I think that's the first thing. Stopping those big uh, pots is a, is a risky business. So bring them down safe and then bring them down uh, and maintain them in a state that if the fortunes change or something else, that you can restart it uh, and make sure that we don't uh, vandalize the place again. That's the important thing. It's not the experience in South Africa, precisely what we've done there. If you go to Sultana today, I mean, it's obviously horrible to see such a beautiful plant standing, but it's in good shape. And how many of those who are employed at Newcastle itself are still going to have jobs? I mean, the number of, of 3,500, that's a real number. Uh, how we can accommodate some of them uh, in the Southern Bell Park area, those things, I mean, we would we would do absolutely what's possible. Uh, firstly, to accommodate people, secondly, to 
retain skills because uh, I think that's the, the ultimate goal. But, you know, each year the 10,000 uh, population, 3,500 go up. You should understand that even if we upsize or increase our volumes in front of our park, it's on the same asset base. It's not, it doesn't require incremental people. Um, it will be difficult, but to the extent that we that we look at options, you know, some people need find other opportunities. Um, you transfer some people, you can, but we will do what we can to lessen the impact. Let's talk about the why, because that really is something that the whole of South Africa can hopefully learn something from. Indeed, with an election coming up in six months' time, that when people go to the polls, they need to be thinking about this stuff. We've heard about, well, we know about load shedding. We're back to level six as we talk today. Running a business at a level six load shedding cannot be uh, easy. Uh, I mean, yes. I think the, the, the issue started, you know, already at the macro level. If you don't, you need one, one and a half percent roughly economic growth to stay stable from a steel consumption perspective. Um, we today is back at consumption levels in 2000. So uh, we saw the boom in 2010 and all the additional capacity and all of those things. But, uh, so that's, that's where it started. Um, you have a shrinking output and you have to, you, you refer to the size of a new cars. Now try to operate the run that place on a million tons instead of 1.8. All the assets are still running. Uh, and if you have to keep a furnace for eight hours not produced, we understand conversion costs, energy costs, uh, and all of that. So, uh, so that's the, the backdrop. Then you come to the, the difficulties in operating. Eskom and Musanabal, the last three days we were asked to boat shed. We, we, we just dropped our, our consumption all three days. So for eight hours a day, uh, our downstream operations uh, were standing. Cost implication of that, no words. Uh, we, and then you add uh, transnet. I mean, the traffic cost in the last few years increased by more than 100%. Uh, so if you were already in a, in a very competitive, low margin business like the castle, uh, it becomes very difficult to absorb those targets. Then you get a transnet. Which is very expensive um, uh, from a tariff per kilometer basis. Now, and then the disruptive in, uh, element come in there. I mean, we in October stopped the blast furnace because we ran out of coal. Uh, now, if you speak to international companies, running out of high coal, mine bulk, how's that possible? Um, stopping a furnace and restarting it, the direct costs are only 50 million. I mean, that's that's no small change in any business. Uh, so if you add that with the additional road transport that we have to do because of the lack of rail, on an already very high rail tariff regime, the numbers doesn't make sense. And when you ask them why, how can these things change in short? I mean, in addition to that, then you have the, the ban of export scrap, which I referred to earlier. So, um, 
when we looked at this in 2019 and we revisited in 2021, we were optimistic that the infrastructure eventually come. Some of these impediments will solve. I think we now face optimistic that that would happen. And do you allow that part of your business to sustainability of the old company at risk? I don't think so. That gradually and suddenly certainly seems to be a reflection here that uh, you, you hung on or think you've hanged on for as long as you can. But what about the rest of the business now? Transnet is not going away. It's not going to get fixed anytime soon. Eskom is stumbling from one disaster to the next. How does that set you guys up for the future? Or might we be having a similar conversation to this one uh, sometime down the line? But I, I, I doubt it. I don't think so. If you look from an energy perspective, uh, electricity perspective, we, we, we're busy with a, a 200 megawatt uh, PV long on site here. Now, that will reduce our lot of, of flat business consumption by 43 um, We were looking at some PPAs, and then we were looking at some other internal generation and a better gas balance. So in my mind, electricity is, is maybe another three years problem. And uh, we can manage around the disruptive side of that. We can do that. Uh, Transnet, obviously, is easier to manage if on a bail to, to our destinations. It's not closer to castle. But uh, I, I, I would think that they will be forced to allow the private access to, to the rail infrastructure. Uh, and studies that we've been doing with experts show that we can get substantial savings in that regard. So for that, we need legislation to change. Um, and once that's, um, then we will be ready. It's, there's, there's people that see the benefit and will be able to support financially. So once you, once again, in the snow and then sudden, if you remain optimistic, those can be addressed. Um, if, you, if you generate adequate cash flow to invest in your, your assets and technology, uh, accelerate or execute the decarbonization process, then this can be an attractive business. I mean, to start with, after after uh, exiting the bulbs, it will still be a 30 billion net business, not massive, but it's still a, a reasonable business. And uh, We've got capacity to add a million tons from our current assets without starting a saltana. Yes, I'm the fun about what. Now, once you once you you fix your cost base interruptions, that that volume, then suddenly the numbers start to make sense from a from cost perspective. You can actually export uh, profitable. Kobus, uh, just um, just close off with just. Revisit that, if you would, very briefly. You say with your own 200-megawatt plant, you'll save 43% on electricity. Yeah. Did yes. I hear you right? 100% correct. But then that's got to be a, a, a template for other people to be using at the same time. Because if, if, if you can save that much on your electricity, suddenly you become competitive again without when, when you're freed from Eskom's uh, death grip. Hundred percent. So, so that's that's the one thing. There's some gas collection, cleaning, and generation opportunities which will bring that down even further. 
the gas collection, cleaning, and generation, obviously that must have a CO2 reduction impact, which is also substan well, substantial and necessary. So our, uh, our um, green objectives uh, in the initial uh, six years of our decarbonization roadmap are all highly cost uh, beneficial, like the PV, like the gas, all of these things. No, I think that uh, the issue for what many, many companies, this will carry uh, a tag of about 3 billion rand. So it's a very expensive um, operation. I mean, uh, wise current, it will be difficult. But from a green investment perspective, our, our group is, is comfortable to assist something that they push very hard for. And from a sustainability perspective, you really got to do it. There's nothing, you no can't choice. be held ransom indefinitely. Kobus Vester is the Chief Executive of ArcelorMittal South Africa. I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com.